Hello everyone, my name is Gary Varner and this is Renegade Reviews. Jared could not be with us tonight, he had to work, so it's just me. And I thought we were originally going to talk about the Batman, but since we were unable to get together tonight, I thought I would do a podcast and we would just go over uh, an article I had written this week on Mind Matters News and just kind of elaborate on some of the details. All right, so for the context of this uh, article, we just spent the last, oh, eight or nine weeks going over Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness on the website. It was a terrible movie. I don't know if I've ever seen a movie um, so bad that literally every line there was a problem. So we went ahead and discussed it on the website. And this is the final article on that matter, which is really kind of a start of another series on the website talking about uh, tropes in general, four tropes that bug me personally. And the first trope is the multiverse trope, and that is what we're going to talk about tonight. And we'll start by reading pieces of the article and then kind of elaborating on some points. So, filmmakers communicate with audiences using common and accepted story devices that viewers identify with. Maybe the average person takes the crown or love triangle. Some tropes are overused or used in ways that undermine the story. In discussing what I think went wrong with Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness and some similar films, I'll use the word trope to refer to any story element that is used to push the plot. I find four tropes particularly annoying. That is the multiverse, time travel, the liar revealed, and the MacGuffin chase. Because I've just finished reviewing Multiverse of Madness, let's start with the multiverse trope. Before reviewing the Doctor Strange sequel, I'd written an essay, Doctor Strange, Can the Multiverse Really Work as a Plot Device?, which focused on the mouse, that would be Disney, for those of you who do not know, and his nefarious motives to use and reuse established characters and stories while blatantly ignoring the fans' connections to their favorite superheroes. The mouse was simply utilizing the multiverse as a means to write wild stories with no regard to continuity, essentially using the Marvel Comics universe as a blank canvas for whatever ideas, new character, or social message the mouse wanted. Here, I want to look at the various problems the multiverse trope creates in storytelling as a whole. The first thing that matters is stakes. That is what happens if presented with a problem the story character fa fails to solve it. Um... This was uh, something that the editor changed a little bit, um, and that is essentially the, the base of it, but stakes are not just uh, what happens if the character uh, fails to solve the problem. Stakes are really, they're the promise of the next thing in the story. So it's not just the conclusion of the story itself, it's, okay, if... if uh, John meets Jim, and Jim uh, betrayed John earlier in the film, but John doesn't know it, then that creates a promise that Jim and John are going to fight later in the story. You don't necessarily know the conclusion of the fight. You don't know what's going to happen in detail, but you know that John and Jim are going to need to fight. And those kinds of predictions are, are how a writer teases, teases the viewer along the story and uh, that they basically guide you by the nose to the conclusion of the uh, movie or 
story or whatever. And uh, yeah, that's it. That's really what it is. It's each individual promise and tease that helps the viewer to kind of anticipate what's going to happen next. So yeah, the definition is pretty good. Not 100%, but yeah, pretty more true than false, I guess. It's, it's as good a definition as any. So how does the writer establish stakes? The YouTube channel, Overly Sarcastic Productions, calls the background to the problem the status quo. That is the point at which the story starts. It's a viewer's understanding of the characters, their situation, and their world. Every story begins with a status quo. The story will end with the status quo being improved, maintained, or destroyed. Either the central character succeeds or fails. The difference that makes determines the difference that makes determines how the viewer will comprehend the stakes. With the multiverse trope, part of the status quo must, by necessity, be the original universe. The stakes in the story will, at least in part, be determined by the fate of the original universe should the protagonists either succeed or fail. So this was one of the first major problems with Doctor Strange. Um, all the time in the multiverse really does feel like wasted time. And that's because when you start your story in an original universe, then the viewer intuitively knows, or the reader or whatever, intuitively knows that the story is going to have to return to that universe at some point. So it's very difficult to tease a string of events along in that situation because there's not a lot of investment in terms of what's going to happen. There's not a lot of tension being developed. You don't actually expect the main character to die because you know the main character has to get back to the original universe before things actually end. So everything that's happening while inside the multiverse kind of feels like waiting, which the article goes into a little later on. So let's continue. With the multiverse trope, part of the status quo must by necessity be the original universe. The stakes in the story, at least in part, be determined by the fate of the original universe should the protagonist either succeed or fail. And here lies the real problem with the multiverse trope. Regardless of what happens in the multiverse, the viewer knows that before the story can properly end, the audience, not necessarily the protagonist, must return to the original universe. The reason for this, stories again by necessity, must in one fashion or another form a closed loop. Obviously, a story cannot go on forever, so how does the writer determine when to put the pencil down? Most often, the writer makes the story come full circle. One way is to set the climax of the story in a familiar location. Another is to confront the protagonist with a failure they suffered previously in the story. Some protagonists discover their roots or who they are or pick your cliché. The viewer comes to understand the plot's progression through these frequent callbacks to earlier portions of the story. This is one of the ways a writer keeps the audience's attention. In a sense, everyone has read or seen every story trope before, and really every story ever before. There's really only a handful of stories that actually exist, and people debate about how many there actually are. Some say eight, some say 13. I mean, there's just, there's different numbers in terms of what, how many different types of stories actually exist. Viewers who get an idea of what's going to happen without predicting the particulars anticipate future events to see if they're right. This makes the viewer a participant in the story rather than just a spectator. Author Brandon Sanderson refers to this as making and fulfilling promises. It's an old idea. A classical approach to storytelling dates back to two and a half millennia to Aristotle's unities. Aristotle, 384-322 BC, an ancient philosopher who wrote about Greek tragedies, some of which survived and are still staged, 
He thought a good deal about what worked and what didn't. He concluded that there are three unities, unity of time, unity of place, and unity of action. While scholars debate the precise meaning, his rules were designed to create a sense of pacing to aid the viewer's sense of the story. When it comes to the unity of place as it pertains to the multiverse, the fact that there are many different places is not in itself a story problem. In a theater, there is often more than one set during a production, and multiple scenes often take place on the same set. And this is actually uh, very prevalent in um, all forms of uh, art. You, It's kind of akin to Chekhov's gun, only a little broader. Basically, you usually have a hub for the story, a central set design or a central place where all the characters will circle back to, and then that will often mark the beginning of the play, the second act of the play, the end of the play. It doesn't always happen that way, but it happens quite a bit. And the reason for that is so people kind of can anticipate where they're at in the story. It's kind of like having a little timeline in your head. Um, movies do the same thing. In Avengers Endgame, the majority of the movie takes place not within the past, an alternative universe in its own right, but at the Avengers compound. The climax of the film also takes place at the compound. This is a subtle way to let the viewer know they are nearing the end of the film, and it helps build the tension. Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness does the same thing, but not as cleanly. The movie introduces the Darkhold Castle only during the second act, then has the climax of the film take place in the temple, accomplishing the same goal as Endgame. Now, taking all this into consideration, here is the main problem with the multiverse trope. Unless the multiverse is the centerpiece of the story, rather than just an action element, as in Multiverse Madness, there is very little that a writer can do to stay in control of the story. Uh, I, I don't know if I like the wording of that, personally. Um, that was another editor change. So, here's the thing. It's not that the writer can stay in control of the story that implies that things kind of just spiral away. Now, characters can run rampant and, you know, take the story in a direction you don't necessarily want it to go. If you've been writing for a while, you'll know that characters tend to start to build a life of their own and they'll run amok, everything like that. Um, but in terms of, you know, the actual events as it pertains to a multiverse, it's not the multiverse that's getting the writer out of control of the situation, it's the fact that even they kind of understand nothing really matters while it's happening within the multiverse. Everything is just kind of waiting to get to the next thing. So the best you can do is you can tease out, you could do some character development, you could tease out a MacGuffin chase of some kind, you could, you could introduce new characters and have them come along. You can do different things, but essentially the multiverse itself, in its best case scenario, can only serve as building what's already going to happen at the end of the film. If you just try to push the plot along, uh, the movie becomes very boring because nothing really matters. Uh, the, even, if, even if the protagonist dies, the viewer knows they're going to have to reach the original universe before the movie can end. And so you can't, you can have some novelty, you can add new monsters, you can do a, a bunch of different things, but it's going to have to happen very quickly. So the audience is constantly reacting or it's 
not you can't stay in the multiverse for very long. And this this just drastically limits what you can do if if and we're going to get to this later in the article if you're trying to build like an actual drama, something where you really do care and are scared for the protagonist or really heavily invested in the protagonist and in that world. Uh, this isn't always the case. Some genres, you know, don't necessarily go along with this. For example, a slasher film, you're basically just waiting for the characters to die and you laugh at them as they die. And, you know, that's a little morbid, but that's the way it is in those types of stories. Uh, the characters are not important. It's watching the slasher kill everybody. So you're just kind of waiting for that to happen. But if, in a story that's like an action adventure, an action adventure or a sci-fi or a romantic comedy, if you're invested in the characters, you can't put them in harm's way too much unless you're going to try to pull this like subvert your expectations thing. In which case, if you kill off the main character... For example, you've got to set up a new character to for the audience to follow along with until the end of the story. And then if you do that or you're too obvious about that, then everybody's going to piece together that you're building a new main character. And they're either going to get mad because they don't like this new character you're introducing or they'll disconnect from the original protagonist. And then the death doesn't have as much impact anyway. So it's very hard to subvert expectations like that to begin with. And so you're really stuck with no good options in a multiverse scenario if you're really wanting people to be super invested in, in the characters and in the stakes and in the tension of that world. There are exceptions. We'll get to those here in a minute. Let's read on. Unless the multiverse is the centerpiece of the story rather than just an action element, as in the multiverse of madness, there's very little that a writer can do to stay in control of the story. The writer can't really endanger the characters because the viewer knows that somehow, some way, they must return to the original universe where they started. This is why when Wanda was chasing Doctor Strange and America Chavez down a winding tunnel, there seems to be no tension whatsoever despite the dark ambiance of the scene. The viewer is already anticipating a return to the Dark Temple for the climax of the film. Similarly, or really it's Dark Castle, uh, but anyway, moving on. Similarly, when Doctor Strange is on trial for his life, the viewer knows that there is no way the writer is going to kill the protagonist during the show trial in a hitherto unknown universe. In short, every scene in the multiverse feels like waiting. The viewer will literally be waiting for the rest of the movie to happen while inside the multiverse. The writer can show some unique visuals, have some fun little monster to fight or run from, but beyond that, the story cannot progress much. That is also why some MacGuffin chase, Pursuit of a Trinket, is introduced so the protagonists can have something to do until the writer decides to advance the plot. This doesn't happen in every multiverse but, uh, story, but this did happen in Doctor Strange. Essentially, the Book of Ashanti was a MacGuffin. It didn't do anything. It was destroyed as soon as they got it. Um, we never saw what it did. It, it didn't alter the stakes of the story in any significant way. And so, essentially, the Book of Ashanti was a MacGuffin to distract everybody until it was destroyed, and then everybody realized, well, we had to get a hold of the dark hole all along. And so it was a bait and switch, and it was just there to waste time. Why do you think the actors were walking casually around a decimated universe toward the end of the Doctor Strange sequel? It was as if both the actors and writers knew nothing mattered until the cast reached the Darkhold castle for the climax of the film. 
This is why stories involving a multiverse often feel boring. So, can an interesting multiverse story be written? Sure. Rick and Morty, a successful television series, deals with the multiverse, but Rick and Morty is a comedy, and therefore the stakes, apart from connecting of human emotions, which I would argue there's not a lot of connecting of anything in that series, but okay, in a comedy, sometimes you connect with human emotions, sure, are relatively low. Even if the characters wipe out their original universe, the whole thing is treated as a gag. That's not something I prefer as a viewer, but it can work as a plot. However, most of the time, the multiverse is a cheap way to escalate drama. In my opinion, it simply cannot do so effectively because the viewer understands that things must return to their original starting point. Otherwise, how could the story end rather than simply stop? Even if the writer chooses to subvert the viewer's expectations, he or she must hint that this subversion is going to take place or the viewer will feel cheated. Most screenwriters don't seem to think about all this. They simply use the multiverse as a means to make the stakes seem bigger. But the viewer knows better. Besides, once there's a multiverse-threatening crisis, how can there be a sequel? The next story will have to be about the multiverse, and then the next one, and then the next one. All the while, the tension the viewer feels will be no different than if the writer had chosen to write another cliché story about saving the world. Why add the extra steps? How about we just save the world and be done with it? So that was the article written on Mind Matters News. You can check that out and others if you like. This was tied into the multiverse of madness, but I do feel like I need to say, but I do feel like I need to say, when it comes to the multiverse of madness, this, the, the multiverse was really one of the smaller problems with the story. Really, it was incoherent writing. It was things like the character speaking Spanish for one line, and then she switched into Spanish one more time back in the pizza parlor and there isn't really an explanation as to why and so for the first little bit you're kind of confused as to why that's happening it's wanda's motivations are all over the place obviously the illuminati were a tease that went nowhere the fights were inconsistent with what is understood about those characters you know the fact that the female captain america couldn't catch her own shield and captain marvel was crushed by a statue when she can fly through ships uh, things like that. There's also the confusion between the Mind Stone and the Reality Stone. Wanda has the Mind Stone. She can change a lot of different things. I don't know if she can actually alter reality beyond telepathy. Uh, there's the fact that Wanda is supposed to be a human, frail wizard figure, but and really what YouTubers call a glass cannon. But despite that, she's taken hits from these sorcerers, and she, you know, she can take a beating much more so than an average person can. And there's just a lot of logistic problems like that. Um, and you can read those articles on Mind Matters News if you choose to do so. So the problem with the multiverse trope as a whole is pretty much surmised pretty well in that article. They're usually used as a way to introduce kind of cheap philosophy questions about what makes somebody who they are people will bicker about whether the people in the multiverse are actually other people or whether they're just extensions of the original person as it were there's questions raised about whether or not you know somebody is who they are because of some genetic component or because of the events that happened to them there's questions about if some character is brought in from the multiverse, can you really treat them like the same character? But as far as the company is concerned, 
you can just do whatever you want. You can kill characters, trade them out from the multiverse, and it's just a real easy way to nickel and dime a franchise, essentially, and create stakes that don't exist. Or create... Creating stakes that don't exist isn't the best way to put it. It's... You can kill a character and leave a degree of unpredictability in your story, but none of that really matters because you can just bring somebody else in from nowhere. You can change the rules of your story at the drop of a hat using a multiverse, and rules to your universe are how you establish stakes. And so you do need them. You need that, when you're talking about Aristotle's unities, unity of time, unity of place, unity of action, yeah, we're not talking about those things specifically beyond unity of place, but we're still talking about making sure everything is consistent within a world so people understand what's going on and can follow the rules and understand how much danger a character is in over time. If you introduce a wild card like the multiverse and you you basically throw up everything in what amounts to as what Brandon Sanderson would call a soft magic system where everything's just ambiguous and everything's mystery and nothing's clearly defined, then you can't you can't really create a sense of tension for the main characters, not effectively. But Multiverse of Madness, it just didn't work for a variety of reasons. And I, I would say personally, I think the thing I hated the most about it was the assassination of Wanda as a character. I mean, I was never particularly attached to her in the Avengers franchise, but you always hate to see characters that have been well-established just get completely disassembled for convenience sake. And there was another, it was very strange that Vision, who's been her primary motivation throughout the entire series, shows up nowhere in that story. It was very bizarre. I don't know why that was. But that was a real problem. Uh, you know, The kids weren't real, but Vision was. And those kids were really a symbol of what her life could have been had her and Vision stayed together. So even by the story's own logic, it wasn't so much that she had children. It was the life she had lost whenever Vision died. That was kind of the core of her motivation. So really, even in the Multiverse of Madness, her primary motivation still really should have been Vision. The fact that they were she was targeting these kids that weren't real just didn't make any sense. Furthermore, there was a variety of simple solutions that could have solved her problem. She could have went to a multiverse where the mother and father had died and just been the new mom for those kids. She could have made those kids up again in her little plane. She could have done a variety of things. She could have adopted. You know, the fact that it wasn't the kids that were the issue. It was what the kids represented. And they didn't have that character in the scene at all. And plus... Wanda was a pivotal character to the Avengers movies, so the other Avengers should have been there. It wasn't right that Doctor Strange just kind of kept it to himself, more or less, and they did that because they didn't want to hire the other actors, basically. It was a Doctor Strange movie. They didn't want to make an Avengers movie. So they did a bunch, they basically took a bunch of cheap shortcuts, wrote a cheap script, and produced a cheap product, and it was an incoherent mess. So that is all I have to say about that. Now, next week, hopefully Jared will be back and we will do a review of The Batman. And we might do more articles later on, depending on how well this one goes. So, thank you for listening. 
We will be back next week. I'm Gary Varner. This has been Renegade Reviews. 